Hi, I'm Liz Plank and welcome to Heart Homework. So a few weeks ago, I called up my friend Justin Bolton to talk about the fourth stage of grief, which is sadness. And this happened. Hi, Maxwell. Have you been feeling sad? Yeah. Yeah? What are you sad about? I don't know. I don't you know, because daddy's going to do one more, one more thing and then he's going to come be with you, okay? He's very sad. <laughs> but it's okay because we're talking about sadness as we speak. And what do we say? The strongest muscle in our whole bodies is what? In my heart. Right? That's it. So it's a good thing that you cried. It's a good thing that you're sad. Because now that you felt sad, we can figure out how to be happy. Right? I'm so sorry we have to take you away from him. Yeah. No, I'm sad is... that he's sad. Well, look, this is, uh, you know, there you go. You got you got real life experience of uh, of of what sadness looks like for a two and a half year old boy during quarantine. He just wants his daddy. Yeah. What a beautiful way to introduce this topic than to see you soothing the sadness of your of your of your. Two and a half year old? Is that is that how old yeah. Maxwell is? Two, two and a half year old. Two and a half year old boy. Yeah. yeah. Last week we talked about bargaining and this week we are digging into sadness. So the exact mm. term actually for the fourth stage of grief is depression, but I've decided to broaden it more um, because the feeling of sadness comes with depression, but even without a clinical diagnosis of, of depression, we all feel sad sometimes. And I'm excited to be joined by one of my favorite people in the universe, Justin freaking Baldoni. Justin Baldoni is an actor, he's a director, he's a producer, he's an entrepreneur, he's a change maker whose efforts are focused on creating impactful media and entertainment. He's the co-founder of Wayfair Entertainment, a social impact prediction company specializing in inspirational content, which we all need right now, uh, with a mission to create projects that benefit the world. You've seen him on Instagram, reach out to people who need support right now and help them process this, uh, all of the emotions that come with the pandemic. He's done incredible work with the homeless population in Los Angeles um, before this crisis and, and now during this crisis. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing and thank you for taking a little break out of all that <laughs> to talk with us. I uh, No, I'm happy to be here. I'm actually happy that it started out so real. I, I think that during this time during quarantine and really just in general mm. i think we just have to you know i think everything needs to be underproduced instead of overproduced i think mm. it just i think we're i think we're ready for i think we're ready for uh people in positions like us to to show how real things are yeah. so that people can actually start to feel better yeah. about their own situations and their own lives so if we're talking about sadness i'm very happy that uh my son has been attached to me all day today because he's very sad that his daddy um, is putting work over him. And that's mm. all he sees right now. He feels like he's second or third. Yeah. Um, so, so what a real way to start this. I wouldn't have it any other way. Me neither. Um, so how do you, so uh, now I want to just talk about that because you just said so many interesting things. Underproduced versus- Throw the plan out the window. Throw the, throw plan, the plan out the window. the window, I love it. I mean, that's what we've done, right? It's like when we make a plan, God laughs, right? And uh, this pandemic has shown, shown us that in, in, the, in the most clear way. So, so 
how do you approach sadness, right? Sadness mm. is, I think, especially in the United States, but just generally, there are a lot of feelings that we don't like to feel or that we are encouraged to suppress or to avoid. But sadness is particularly, we have a lot of sadness phobia, right? We're, we're afraid of it. Um, and it, often we, we numb it away, we swipe it away, we eat it away, you, you name it. And so I, I wanna kind of ask you, we saw that Maxwell is sad about, about you, you know, working and, and having to, to be at home, but also not always be available to him when, when he needs it. What makes you sad right now? So this, this podcast comes at a good time because I realize that I am sad about the fact that I haven't showed up in the way that I feel like I should for my family. Mm. And so now what I'm doing is taking action to try to show up. Wow. Um, so you're the last podcast and the last thing that I'm going to do for a while. Uh, but I'm happy. But I'm happy that we're doing it because um, because it allows me to also talk about it. And I hope. And the whole reason I I am even talking about these things is because I hope that through the modeling of sharing this stuff that's messy, um, taking myself off of any uh, hypothetical. Uh, pedestals, it will give other people permission to look at that same thing in them, yeah. themselves. Because we're all workaholics. We we're are. all trying to become something. We're all trying to, and this all comes from a fear and a sadness that at the end of our lives, we're not going to be validated for our work. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be remembered. We're not going to be written about in the history books. We're, people aren't going to be saying, oh, that life was well lived. He, that person, he or she didn't change anything. We're all we're all in fear at the end of our lives, we won't have accomplished anything. Yeah. And that is not a reason to do things mm -hmm. out of fear. And so, right. There you go. Sorry, go That's ahead. My no, it's, it's so wonderful. And the thing with what, what you're saying is so crucial because actually at the end of our lives, we know this from the data on your deathbed, you don't think I should have worked more. You think I should have spent more time with my family. I should have been. Yep you know, taking advantage. It's not the big things. It's always the little things. And that's if you look at the data things. on grief, people don't miss the big wedding or the big party. It's like, I miss, you know, the way that the screen door would open when they would get, get back yeah. from work. I want, I want to hear that, that little sound again. It's these little ways that we show up for each other that actually at the end of our lives really matters. I like the, you know, I know you're a researcher, but so I like that you actually read the data on grief. I've spent the last seven years telling stories and making documentaries about yeah. people who are terminal. And it's the thing that has given me also the most success, uh, but it's the thing that has also brought me back to reality and, and put everything into perspective. And what I tell people is just that. Out of the 25 people I've made documentaries about, right? Half of them are not here anymore. Mm. They all said the same thing, mm. which is like, no one is worried about becoming famous or known. They just want their stories told and they wish they had more time, right? Yeah. The movie that I just, that I'm finishing right now as we speak is about Zach Sobiak, who was 17, had this disease called osteosarcoma um, and wrote a song before he died called Clouds. And in the song, he says, like, if only I had a little bit more time. Mm. If only a little bit more time with you. And that's the thing. It's like, it's not a little more time to get more followers. It's not a little bit more time to write a great speech. Mm. It's not a little bit more time to finish a book. It's more time to spend with the people that we love. Yeah. And as you said, nobody 
There's not one person in all that data that at the, at, on their deathbed says, I wish I worked more. It's yeah. always, I wish I worked less. Yes. But yet here we are on the hamster wheel because we have to work. Yeah. Um, and it's just that balance of finding it out. So it helps me come back. Being this close to people who are dying constantly, always getting texts from my friends who have terminal and chronic illnesses, mm. just constantly puts things into perspective. Although it's also very hard for me psychologically. Yeah that like, wow, wait a second, I'm also not living the thing that I'm doing. Mm. So we're, so, which is, again, it just helps me in these moments go, oh, wait, but I can, it's in my power. Guys, I'm checking out, I'm going to work for three hours a day for the next two weeks to, yeah. to rebalance myself with my family. And anybody can, anybody can do that in their own way. Mm. Anybody can do that in their own, you know, a lot of people, especially essential workers right now, don't have a choice. But when you get home, you can choose to turn it off. Yeah. Right? When yeah. you get home, you can choose to be with your family if you are so privileged to have one. Right? Mm. So these are just things that I'm thinking about right now. Wow. <laughs> and can I ask you, a, 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 again, we're going off script because it's too, too interesting. Yeah. How do you want to be remembered when you die? Do you ever think about that? Does that is that a way to refocus? Oh, yeah. I think about it. I think about it too much. I think I think about it. It's... In the Baha'i faith, we're told to to meditate on death. Yeah. Because it influences our life, the way we choose to live, right? Um, and so for me, I have to find the balance because I actually, I actually go there too often. Mm. Um, and then that becomes almost a little bit obsessive compulsive in terms of like, I think about it too much. And then I have to figure out if it's fear driving it or what it is. Um, that's my own internal work mm -hmm. because, and that's only because I've surrounded myself with so much of it. I'm a very extreme person. And uh, when I started my last days, it was something that I thought the world needed, but in reality I needed, right? It's always I how it works. to be reminded of it. So uh, for me, I want to be remembered as, as somebody who, was willing to tell the truth, um, who was willing to, to, um, to show the messy, uncomfortable sides in, in a effort and a hope. Oh, we can hear him. <laughs> I know. He's saying daddy. And again, it's just like every time he does that, it like just cuts deep into my soul because it's like... Yeah, sorry, I'm going to go on a tangent for a second. In the Bible oh, faith, we don't believe it. it. We, we, don't, we don't believe in hell in the Bible. Okay. We believe that hell is separation from God, right? And I was, when I was young, when I was a kid, my mom would kind of explain to me what that meant. And she would always say, like, it's like you're at a party and all your friends are there, except you're right on the outside and you can't get in and you're watching them have fun. That's hell. And hell can exist here on earth. Oh, hell yeah. can exist and we can create hell for ourselves. And sometimes, when, like, I've been feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm putting my kids through that, which is they're so close to their daddy. Mm. They can hear my voice, but they can't get in the room because it's locked because yeah. I'm on a podcast talking about sadness. So <laughs> that's my tangent. Um, so I'm like, I'm in hell right now. Uh, I'm uh, so sorry we created hell. No, you didn't. This is, but this is my, this is, this, but it's also a great teaching experience because mm. then I get to go back and explain to him that the feelings he has are real and the sadness yeah. is okay. Um, I want to be remembered as somebody that did everything he could to be a walking example of his faith and to, to help people remember 
that life is not something to take for granted and that we all have the ability to choose love. That's what I want to be. That's, that's, that would be it. That's how I'd want to be remembered. Mm. And I think about it a lot. And sometimes I think about my funeral and it really sets me up. It, 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 it really brings me back because I think about are my actions right now with this human being, whether I'm angry or not, whether, it's, whether I'm in a business negotiation or, negotiation or not, are, would my actions influence what they thought of me in my passing? Would that person want to come to my funeral mm. if I passed away? It's a weird fucking thing. I do it to do. too. It's so weird. I do it too. I do it but all I the time. Tell you, but I will tell you that like, if you put things into perspective mm. with life and death, it, it snaps you out of that reptilian anger, yeah. that emotional response, mm -hmm. because you realize that it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Like, so what is an extra 5% of X million dollars in the back end of a movie if it's going to mean that that person and I are never going to talk again? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I can't take the money with me when I die. Yeah. We look at these business dealings and these friendships that are ruined by money and all of these things, and it's all bullshit. Yeah. Give them the extra little bit, and maybe they'll come back to you in a year and be like, oh, I shouldn't have been so... This, it's like we all have the, the, that ability to make those choices. And so sometimes, honestly, thinking about my death, my funeral, mm -hmm. actually influences the way that I do business mm -hmm. and the way that I interact with people. And in a way, Justin, what you're talking about right now, you know, we're going through a deadly virus, right? There, there's, you know, we're all, those of us who have the privilege to be able to quarantine, we are quarantining. So the, uh, but, but we're still exposed to a deadly, you know, there's a deadly, there are people, thousands and thousands and thousands of American dying um, every single day. And so in a way, it seems like you are connected with death right now in a real way, in, in, in the way that you've been thinking about your relationship with your family through this. Yeah. No, for sure. The weirdest thing for me, though, is that this is not abnormal. I mean, again, I've, I've put myself voluntary, mm. vo like voluntarily in situations where I'm surrounded by it. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, and, and for my wife, too, I mean, we often we have conversations where it's like, oh, maybe we don't do my last days next year. I don't know if our hearts can handle it again, you know, losing another person, going to another funeral. Um, but what I can tell you is that also in my faith, there's so much lightness and goodness in the conversations around mortality. Yeah. Because it because I don't believe you can talk about death um, without framing it in a spiritual way so that you understand that it actually is very similar to birth. Hmm. So when you it like it's like anything, like something is super scary when you when it's when it's talked about out of context. And for most people, for myself included, it is the biggest, largest unknown that we will ever face. And we spend our lives running from it. Yeah. <laughs> and especially in America, it's this idea of like, you know, you often hear like, I'll sleep when I die, right? Mm -hmm. Well, little do we know that like lack of sleep actually makes you die early. There we right? go. Um, but we just were so uncomfortable talking about the idea that one day we're not going to be here. Um, and we're just collectively in denial about it yeah. versus what if there was a conversation about like, well, what happens when we die? Mm. Are we spiritual beings or are we physical beings? Mm. Right. And then you bring all of these, uh, these deep spiritual beliefs into it that every religion is taught in the Baha'i faith. We're told that death is the next birth and to understand 
death, we have to look at birth. Yeah. We look at the mother's womb, right? We were in our mom's wombs for nine, 10 months, and we had everything that we needed. Mm. We, had, we had our food, we had our, our, our warmth, we had our comfort, we were floating in this free perfect- Free rent, yeah. Free <laughs> rent, right? We had shelter. Um, and the entire time we were in the wombs of our mother, we were developing things, but we weren't aware that we were developing things. We were growing our arms and our legs and our eyes and our ears and our sense of smell and taste and our hair. And we had no clue that these things were happening because we didn't have true consciousness then. And all the while we were in our mother's wombs, we were also coexisting in another world that, was, that we were inside of. We were inches away. We were a, a, a couple millimeters of skin away from this entire existence outside of the mother's womb. And if you would have told us while we, we were in the womb that just outside of this, this black, like floating cocoon, there exists a world with a blue sky and a sun and an ocean and wind and, and air that you can breathe and food that you can taste and some flowers that you can smell, the baby would be like, what, what are you talking about? Right? We'd, we'd be like, no. No, because all the baby knows is, is its existence, mm. right? Let alone that we're on a floating planet orbiting a sun in a solar system. Like you're, there's no possible way to comprehend it because mm. the baby only has the ability to comprehend it's where it is right now. Mm. Our belief in the Baha'i faith is that when we die, it's the next birth and that we are right now, as we speak, coexisting in another world that we're not able to see. And while we are here on this earth, we are developing things also that we cannot see. Mm. What we do know is that we can't take our bodies with us when we go. We can't take anything physical or material with us when we go, which means that we can only take the things we develop, which are our spiritual arms, legs, eyes, ears with us when we go. And what are those things? Honesty, compassion, steadfastness, love, kindness, all of the things that we practice, all of the things that are, we're tested by on a daily basis. These are the things, these are the qualities, these are the, these are the spiritual arms and legs that we're going to need where we go next. Mm -hmm. And the coolest part about it is that we're told that that world is as different than this world as this world is to the womb of our mothers. Wow. And that, and because we, we have no idea how magnificent or wonderful it's going to be because we can't comprehend a world in which we don't have a physical body. Mm -hmm. So all that being said, if you frame the idea of death in a context like that, mm. it in some small way allows us the chance to go, oh, so my purpose here on earth, my, the purpose of my life is to actually develop all of the things that I sometimes run away from to mm. develop all of the things that that um, that we are that we know intuitively we should be practicing on a daily basis, and then at the end of your life you can look back and say like, oh, how did I do there? Yeah. Huge. Right. I know we're not talking about sadness. I just went off. On no, that. this sorry. is, you know what? This is so connected to actually the hard homework I wanted to do with you. And you didn't even know, which is why this is so perfect. Um, truly like a constellation of, of, of connection through this Zoom uh, with you because 
I think, so I, you know, struggle with anxiety. I've always struggled with anxiety basically my whole life. And mm. I basically think about death a lot. Like, I feel like my anxiety weirdly has prepared me for a global pandemic because I think <laughs> about my parents dying all the time. I think about, uh, you know, my friends or my family members getting into an, an accident. I think about losing my job, losing my apartment. Um, and so- And in, when you think about that stuff, Liz, do you, is it is it a thought that becomes- like, is, does it create anxiety where it's like negative for you? Or is it something you think about as an exercise and it actually calms you? Well, there you go. Again, it, it's interesting because sometimes it is for sure. And, and, you know, anxiety can be, uh, you know, it, it is something that can be really difficult to deal with. It can be compulsive. It can be, you know, these thoughts are obsessive. But I've also noticed that sometimes it has made me have so much appreciation for the things that I love in my life because I think about them going away so much. And I started doing research, and this is actually a, a real thing. So according to psychologists, Ron Johnson and Deb Brock, in uh, a book called The Positive Power of Sadness, How Good Grief mm -hmm. Prevents and Cures Anxiety, they talk about anxiety as a form of anticipatory sadness. So because you live in fear of losing what you you love if you do mm. it right it can make you appreciate those things more so they actually argue that sadness can be a kind of anticipatory grief so in other words when we grieve things that we haven't lost yet it can be a way to really love those things more in the present mm. and so they suggest replacing worrying with grieving and so i thought that we could try and do this together are you are you game to do it yeah. Okay. I I kind of feel like I do that already too. I mean, that's uh, the thing. In some it, weird way. It 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 does but seem. But like... here's a question for you before we do that. This is a real honest question. So, um, do, have you ever been in a situation where you have done this, right? Where like, let's just say, I don't know the relationship with your parents because we don't know each other that well. Yeah. Um, but let's just say you have a great relationship with your parents, but maybe there's a lot of friction and they're frustrating mm -hmm. as hell, right? Oh a lot of a, a lot of yeah. 30 somethings have this experience, right? Um, and you find yourself like thinking about their death and grieving them, but yet when you're with them, they still oh, yeah. bother annoy you. Me. Annoy me. Now shit that, me. that's the craziest part. Mm. Because you because what where I'm going and what I'm trying to figure out is, okay, now I can be aware that this person or this thing, how, how devastated I would be if they passed away yeah. or when they pass away. But the real work then lies in finding a way to in the present moment yeah. take that into it and and recognize that the things that are bothering me are not that big of a deal. Yes, I love that. And you know what I've also let myself do recently? And weirdly, the, I don't know if you watch Schitt's Creek. It's like my favorite show and it's helped me do this. Schitt's Creek is basically a show where these, it, they're basically in quarantine. It's like four, <laughs> four, four people, this very, very wealthy family loses all of their money. And suddenly they're all stuck together in this very small motel in a, in a small town. And they basically are forced to interact and be with each other at all times with kids that are like 28, you know, like not, you know, young children. And so for me, what it, what that show has showed me is that it's okay to be annoyed. Like it's actually okay to, to find yeah. your mom or find your dad or find your sister annoying and actually repressing it and, and, and just, 
it, it you if you repress that you'll end up it'll end up showing up as anger or it'll show up as yeah avoidance resentment resentment oh my god resentment resentment will get you resentment will get you and you know what resentment is resentment is 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 basically unexpressed anger, unexpressed anger which is you haven't expressed a boundary that's what mm -hmm. it is 99% of the time, if you are angry about something, it is that there's a boundary that's been crossed and actually it is your job. Boundaries don't exist unless you actually set them. And so yeah. with my with my family, that's been a huge thing for me is that for, for a very long time, yeah, it was super annoying, but then I'd be like, well, if I don't say what I need and I don't talk about the space that I need and I don't assert that, then it's yep. kind of on me. And that's what for us has been huge is with my journey with masculinity and the writing of my book and talking with my parents and talking about therapy and all of these things and also thinking about what will I regret when they're gone, knowing that that's going to happen, right, in the next 30 years, yeah. let's just say, um, well, then what am I doing now yes. to, to, to make the relationship better, to heal the relationship? And what it's turned into has been like being okay, being annoyed and saying, this is annoying. <laughs> And then, and having conversations, and it's been incredibly healing for my family, because we're, you know, we're we're like bumping up against all of those, all of the ways we've been socialized to repress our feelings and to sweep things under the rug. Yeah. No matter how woke as a family, we and I say again, I, I wish this is a podcast. So that, air quotes, air quotes. <laughs> uh, no matter how, no matter how woke we seem as a family, every family is is. Uh, is dealing with a version of this. And, and so my, both my parents, like we're all, everybody's going to therapy. We're communicating better. Mm. We're having conversations. If you would have told me 10 years ago that I'd be having meaningful conversations with my parents and they'd be asking me things like, well, how did we mess you up? I would have never believed you. Oh, wow. But, but that's, we're getting there. Mm. And that wouldn't have happened, save it be for the, the thought of what will happen when they're gone wow. and the real life process of grieving somebody before they're gone. Yeah. So I thought that today to do, to do this hard homework, you know, that, that we would be basically, you know, we don't have control over losing, losing the things that we love, but we do have control mm -hmm. over loving the things that we have. So today's mm -hmm. home hard homework is all about that. We're going to hack our sadness. Are you ready, Justin? I'm ready. Okay. So basically we're going to write a eulogy for something that we have right now and as if it was lost. So it could be, um, you know, it, it could be a loved one. It could be a coworker that we really love that's been there for us. It could be, for me, I'm actually losing my apartment in New York because I have to abandon it. And it's been very sad for me to, to say goodbye to my apartment. It could be, um, it could be a food that's really been there for you. Like wheat thins have been there for me in this quarantine. And I, I, I really love them. I want to show my love. So it could be a eulogy basically for anything. We're gonna use the ham method for writing eulogies, which is to focus on highlights, attributes, and memories of what is lost, whether that's a person or a thing. So I have five writing prompts to get us started. Highlights, attributes, and memories? Yes. And I'm happy lost. I had my iPad here. You what? I said I'm happy I had my iPad here. I know, wait, right. I forgot to tell you yet to bring a little, um, paper and a pen. I'm going to ask my producer. I lost my pen in, in my closet somehow. Ashley, do you have I a pen? I love that you're podcasting. I know. Your it's so... <laughs> it's amazing. I just wish people could see the video. I know. Just, just so everybody, just so everybody 
that's listening knows Liz is on a microphone and there's like a polka dot dress hanging right in front of her <laughs> microphone and looks like the, the arm of a red sweater. There is an right? arm of a red sweater. And, uh, <laughs> and she's like, it looks like she's like sitting cross-legged on the floor or something because she's below the door handle of I her am. closet door. Uh, so I hope that helped the visual of yes, this conversation. It's also dark in here, so I don't have a ring light. I'm just using the flashlight from my phone uh, to, to on, so it's flashing off my glasses. I look insane. And um, mm -hmm. yes, thank you for describing the visual for the people at home. Um, this is really DIY and um, thank you for- As it should be, this is, on, this is great, it's real, doing it's our honest. best, exactly. Um, okay, so how, do you have something that you, in mind that you want to write a eulogy for yeah. our prompts? Um, okay, I got something. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you five writing prompts and then maybe you can, then, then you can reveal what it is after we're done writing. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. So what are my writing prompts? The first writing prompt is one thing I love about you is. So I, so I start writing, I start with that. That's the sentence. Yes. And, and you, you can just complete it if you want. And ideally it's a few words if, if that helps but also go for it whatever way you want to do it. Okay, next. Oh my God, you're amazing. Okay, question number two, not question, but writing prompt number two. One yeah. lesson I didn't expect to learn from you is. One lesson I didn't expect to learn from, from you is. Yeah. Okay. Writing prompt number three, I will always remember when we. Okay. I love it. Okay, writing prompt number four, my favorite thing about the way I feel with you is. Hold on. Okay, so the last writing prompt is, what I will miss about you the most is. So this is the exercise of really losing and grieving this. So when you think about that going away, what I will miss about you the most is. All right, I'm gonna stop myself now. <laughs> I, oh, now I'm excited. I, you, 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 you clearly are a very good student, hard homework student. So all right. our, first of all, do you want to share what what thing you you wrote in a your, uh, what thing you wrote? Should I just read it? For? Should I just read it and then say at the end what it is? Yes, let's do it that way. Whatever way you want what, to do. Do you it. want to wait? Do you want to go first? Why don't you go first? Okay, I can do that. So this is your podcast. <laughs> but you're my guest. Um, so okay, I I, I will start because I th I think mine I'm I'm much, I'm a millennial brief social media brain so I I'm, I make things pretty pretty short, um so I actually yeah did it about my apartment, and um yeah I haven't lost it yet but I'm saying I'm in the process of saying goodbye to my New York apartment that I've lived in for three years, um and it was my first apartment living alone six floor walk up one bedroom tiny 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 little apartment but a lot of things have happened there so, um. My, so one thing that I love about you is how safe you make me feel. 
One lesson I didn't expect to learn from you is that I can make it on my own. I'm already crying. Everything that I need is already inside of me. Mm. I will always remember when we wrote my book together. <laughs> is that mm. My favorite thing about the way I feel with you is that you make me feel free and safe at the same time. What I will miss about you the most is every single memory, the tiny familiar things that I will never get to feel again. And I, I struggle to actually write them all. It's, it's, it comes back to what we were talking about. It's walking down 10th Street and seeing the church and seeing the sunlight and this one coffee shop I, I would go to every morning and seeing and, and saying hello to them. Um, it's, it's really the tiny little things that were familiar mm. that, that are no longer going to be familiar in my life. I love that. So that's mine. That's awesome. Are you going to share Are you ready okay, to share yours? Yeah. My, again, like don't judge. Cause obviously I made, I, I thought it'd be fun to make it a little sentimental. I love too. it. So we love uh, sentimental I'm things. Not, I'm, I'm not going to, I, this isn't one that I'll cry with because I wanted to, I, I actually wanted to, because of the tears that have been flowing freely to, to, to try to, to try to do, to, to do something different. And also because I have a complicated relationship with this thing. Love that. So I picked, Ugh. I picked something, I picked, I wanted to pick something that, uh, could actually help me with my relationship with it. Here Great. we go. Oh, all right. Love that. One thing. One thing that I love about you is the fact that despite all the pain, all the injuries, all the sadness, you were always there to lift me up and help mm -hmm. me get back on my feet again. Mm -hmm. No matter how painful it was, you always healed and showed me that the scars and the pain could also be my teacher. And that in the times you hurt the most were also the times you grew the most. Wow. One lesson I didn't expect to learn from you <clears throat> is that no matter how much at times I was mad at you or frustrated by your weakness, you were always one of the strongest parts of me. Mm. I will always remember when we raced my dad's car every morning and every night down the street as he went to work and in the afternoon when he came home. The feeling of floating on air, the wind in my hair, and the smile on his face as he told us how fast we were going will always stay with me. And I can't wait to be the father that does that for my kids. Mm. What I will miss about you the most isn't the speed you helped me run with, the heights you helped me jump to, or the goals you helped me score. It's the little things, the bending down to pick up Maya or Maxwell when they see me, the way you moved to the rhythm as I danced with my wife, the ability to stand up and put the kids on my shoulder so they could see over a fence. But more than anything, I'll miss the freedom you gave me to experience the beauty of the world on a walk or a run and experience the magic of mobility. Dear legs, I will miss you. I love it. <laughs> uh, wow. Great, so now I'm gonna write a children's book about legs. I love this. That's the book. That will, you have a book you are still, oh, that's the next book. Your legs, so oh. that's so interesting. Why did you choose your legs? Well, I choose my legs. So I, uh, 
I was a sprinter in high school mm. and a soccer player. So my legs were everything, mm. but I was also always getting injured. My legs have been riddled with injuries since the time I was like 15. Yeah. And I tore my hamstring my senior year in high school. I lost all my soccer scholarships and track scholarships. Um, I, uh, I've, you know, I've, torn every muscle. I mean, I, I'm looking and, and recently I was shooting clouds. I was doing uh, lunges and I tore, I was one of 2% of people that have ever torn this specific muscle. And as I was running this morning, I was frustrated by the fact that this leg now I tore my rectus femoris mm. um, at the belly and I didn't need surgery. So it healed quickly, but I don't have as much strength in this leg. And so I'm trying to rehab it. And I'm just like, I've been frustrated by mm. the weakness of my legs at times, like, cause mm. you know, whether it be, I can't squat heavy anymore. I have to be mindful about the way that mm. I run and jump. My hips are really tight and I have injuries everywhere. And so like, I've been so angry at my legs wow. and I thought, well, I need, I should appreciate them. What if I lost my legs? Fuck. I wouldn't give a shit if they were angry, if I was angry at them or if they had yeah. weaknesses because I'd be able to just bend over and pick them up. Wow. So this was a fun exercise for me because sometimes we're also very hard on our bodies. Mm -hmm. We don't appreciate our bodies, you know, and I could have done the same exercise for a lot of other parts of me. Yes. <laughs> I, I think, I think that, I think that we as human beings could do that as well. Absolutely. Wow. That's so powerful. I love, and I love that what I mean, seem to come through with that too, is that, yeah, we, we, we get mad at, at our bodies for not keeping up with the pace that we want, but then we realize that, again, it's not the big things. When you're on your deathbed, you're going to think about what, yeah, picking up your children, right? The little ways that yeah. your body was able to make um, your, yeah, the, the, those important things happen and not, I should have done more squats or I should have run more miles. Yeah. Wow. The first thing that you miss when you lose your legs is not how fast you could run. It's the fact that you could walk. Yeah. Oof, right. And there's a, there's a, you know, there's one of the things I've learned from all the people who I've told documentaries about and something that I've been saying for a while. And actually I, I put it in the movie I just directed mm -hmm. is um, what, uh, what most of us take for granted are the very things that many others are fighting for. Mm -hmm. So it puts things into perspective, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you talk to a paraplegic or somebody who lost their legs in war or a car accident about what they miss, it's not going to be sprinting or jumping high, right? Mm. It's just going to be getting around, being mobile. So I love this exercise. Thank you for helping Thank me uh, reframe my relationship with my own legs. I love it. I love how creative you are. I love that it helped you uh, work that out. And I, I really want to thank you for joining us today, being so generous with your time. And please apologize to Maxwell. Tell him I really owe him no, one. It's okay, because um, he's going to get daddy a lot next week. Well, now yeah. it seems like he also got french fries out of this. So <laughs> yeah, that's his thing. He likes, he likes he likes going on drives and getting french fries. Who so, doesn't? Who doesn't? I'm yeah. gonna do that too. You know what? I'm gonna go do that too. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Justin, for everything. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for taking the time to do hard homework with us. This podcast was created and written by me, Liz Plank, and is produced by Ashley Bearden. If you like this podcast, go rate it or uh, review it. It actually means a lot to us to read your reviews and it also makes sure that we can get this podcast to as many people as possible. Um, and you can also now subscribe to my new newsletter uh, by going to hardhomeworkpod.com.